0: People just need to accept that there is no magic bullet on the planet that will help them solve their health or data problems other than <laughs> eating healthy and exercise, just like with data, understanding, documenting, right? And, and engaging people in a way so that the solutions that you're delivering actually add business value. If you're not doing that, what are you doing?
1: Hey, welcome to the business of being. My name is Paul Kasimus, and I believe that everyone is on a path in life. Growing up, I always loved stories that involved showing someone's origins. You know, movies like Kill Bill, Batman Begins, Star Wars, and the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. These stories captivated my interest, seeing the growth of the character through their struggles, challenges, and victories along the way. I speak with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and business owners about their life and business to learn what it takes to be successful and to discover their unique hero's journey. Conversations will enlighten you on the right mindsets for overcoming any obstacle you might face to help guide you on your unique path in business. Today's guest is Taylor Culver, founder and CEO of Xenodata, which helps organizations drive business impact and user engagement through well run digital initiatives with a principled approach to data management. He's worked with major companies like Anheuser Busch InBev. And Ulta, a couple companies you've probably heard of. From growing up on a farm in rural Missouri to traveling to over 50 countries and then starting his career in New York City, Taylor's journey led him to work a variety of jobs in corporate America before founding Xenodata, which he says he started simply to help people not have to go through the same growing pains that he went through when leading Data Strategy. What Taylor reveals about Data is, to me, incredibly fascinating and why you think it's all numbers and databases, which is kind of how I thought it was, uh, Taylor sees the human element of it and how data can really drive culture and change within an organization. Excuse me. So you're really going to enjoy this, this episode. This is a fantastic conversation I had with Taylor, and I'm uh, looking forward to sharing it with you guys. I'm here. Taylor Culver, CEO of Data. What's up, man?
0: Not too much. How are you doing today, Paul?
1: Dude, it's good. It's good to chat. I know we, we, we chat somewhat regularly about, you know, often end up just going into business um, ideas and strategy. And I thought, I mean, it was really a no-brainer to, to maybe, you know, have you as one of the earlier guests here. And especially your story, which I found super fascinating of, you know, Missouri, rural town, big city, New York, big corporate company, Working in data, and then now, to, you know, starting your own business. So I think I think we'll have a lot of fun stuff to to chat about today.
0: Cool. I'm am yeah. I'm excited.
1: So yeah, man. So you know, we talk about there's a lot of stuff we can get to in business, but I always want to start with like, let's let's. What was Taylor like pre-Zeno Data CEO?
0: Yeah, no, sure, sure. So, so I I figure you, you called it out earlier. I, I did. I grew up on a farm, right? So here I am working in the the big city. It's it's a really big difference uh, from how I was raised. So how did I get here? It's funny. I was talking to one of my high school advisors from when I was younger a few weeks ago, and I was talking to. Him, I go, what was I like when I was younger? Just trying to figure out, you know, where I'm on and off course. And he goes, well, I remember you having an edge, and I go. I don't feel like i have an edge and he goes you're in new york your edge from missouri is quite different than your edge in new york so it it made me chuckle because it's just a different if it's a different world right and and you look at what's going on in america politically and you see what's happening in the midwest and you see what's happening on the coasts and it's interesting to see it from both perspectives so I, i i there's 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 truths on both sides and i think that's what makes it complicated But yeah, no, I I grew up on a farm. We had horses and you name it, all sorts of stuff when I was younger, which was fun. My dad taught computers. He got big on uh, computers when I was younger. So he's like early into that space. I actually learned how to code from my dad. And then my mom was actually mayor of the small town I grew up in. So I I grew up with a little bit of politics and a a little bit of uh, computers. But I knew like by the time I had turned 18 or so that my worldview was somewhat limited right? And I knew that there was just more to what I, how I grew up. And I just wanted to see what was out there. So I ended up going to school in California, a school called Santa Clara, which was great education, learned a ton. It was in uh, Silicon Valley. So, you know, whether I knew it or not, at the time, I, I was kind of pulled in that direction. Maybe it was the palm trees. Maybe it was what was going on in the world, but but it, it was a really special place because I was there in two thousand. And, you know, five, so 2003 through 2007. So there's a lot of big change, like even Facebook was somewhat nascent at the time. So I have a lot of friends who ended up at those companies who've done very well. So it it was cool to kind of watch that. But at the same time, I I also was kind of traveling the world and seeing what was out there. And, you know, over time, I've been over 50 countries and You know, eventually I I settled in in New Jersey. I I met my now wife here when I was working for a company. I was actually in between Brazil and France at the time. And here I am in New Jersey. I met her at a biker bar and we ended up getting married. You know, it's been eight years. So here I am living in now Jersey city. So having grown up in the Midwest and now living on the coast, things have changed, you know, quite quite a bit.
1: Yeah. And from definitely from all those, locations not many people are like oh you know between brazil and france and yeah. are, are you in a biker gang because that would be awesome if we could talk about that or yeah you
0: know, <laughs> you know what ha- what happens in fight club you know stays in fight club okay. yeah that,
1: that's fair you know Ken, uh, <laughs> the ceo of this data company by day by night he's the yeah. head of this really cool biker gang
0: who knows you never know right right
1: <laughs> nice and well so so you've been there and You got a lot of that travel experience was that I'm assuming before you really stepped into your corporate, your corporate career, or were you working a lot when you were doing this traveling and living in these countries?
0: Yeah. So, so when I graduated from college, I knew that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but at the same time, I, I also knew that I didn't have uh, any experience in business and neither of my parents were business people. So I, I didn't have a tremendous amount of resources around me in terms of like business acumen and business knowledge. So I, I figured I had to learn by doing, you know, the corporate world is it, it, it has its strengths and its weaknesses, but uh, I just use it as a mechanism to learn. And afford me the opportunity to travel and see the world. So I got to work in like finance, operations, sales, product, strategy, all all, all sorts of different roles. So I got to see how organizations work and how they think from a bunch of different angles, which I enjoyed. And, and, you know, I'm a big believer in people and relationships and organizations are ultimately as strong or as weak as their culture you know technology strategy doesn't mean anything if you have the wrong people. and I think that's kind of what led me to to data and and I, I... I learned very quickly that every organization has subcultures within it. Just like traveling, you go go to Africa, every country is different. You go to Europe, every country is different, different languages, different foods, different norms. It's the same within a company. And then once you learn how they're communicating and how they're working together and what problems they're trying to solve, that's how you can build consensus. But if you don't understand any of that, you you just end up in organizational gridlock. and, And that's usually where I see data projects fail. So To answer your question, right, coming full circle is I wanted to be an entrepreneur. How I was going to be an entrepreneur just kind of found me. And and I kept finding myself dragged into the middle of data projects, you know, being a facilitator, helping kind of break down friction, helping people understand each other's goals, delivering solutions. And, you know, I love the idea of jumping on impossible problems and or seemingly impossible problems and solving them with some degree of finesse. And, And I found that fun and challenging and really rewarding because, people walked home because their day wasn't as stressful. And, you know, they were happier for it. And there's a lot of soft good to it that I that that was fulfilling.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting. Kind of your, your whole perspective on relationships and organizational structure and culture, because I think anybody, maybe the first thought when they're like, there's data people, and then there's people people like, You know, I I don't have much experience in the, in corporate, but I know like my, my perception is like there's the sales folks are really gregarious, outgoing, charismatic, the data people, and they don't ever talk, but like your, your perspective on it to you, like data is a huge part of that culture and a huge part of how people can interact. I think that's a, that's a fascinating perspective, which I'm going to bookmark that because I definitely want to revisit that. So I guess in that way, you know, you're working in all these places and you're, you're gathering a lot of experience and, and, you know, getting a lot of reps in, so to speak, in a lot of different, you know, areas within a business. I I, I know, since I know a bit of your story already, I know, you know, you started working at a company and you just, you were, there was a lot of struggles there. I think with, you know, your voice being heard or you're like, Hey, we are doing things maybe Butt ass backwards. I want to. I want. I'm curious about that because, because again, we, we we've mentioned that part of the, your career before, and I'd love to hear more details on how that went about. Because I think it was. It seems like it was kind of critical to what your next steps were.
0: Yeah. No. I, in my own career. Uh... I learned uh, how to solve the problem, right? And how to solve the problem is not how to solve the problem. So what what do I mean by that is there's, I think data professionals are still finding themselves, right? And and I think a big reason they're finding themselves is there isn't really a, a strong emphasis on an executive role or a chief data officer at most companies overseeing data, right? So because of that, you've got all these people who are somewhere in between a report writer, and a business analyst trying to change the organizational structure of the business, right? So if you think about it in the eighties and nineties organizations are built around hierarchies and departments and in the 2000, 2010s, you've got all these tech comings out that, that are building their organizations around platforms. What they're doing differently is they're building their organization around the data core. The challenge of these legacy organizations who haven't been able to deploy these platforms, it basically put themselves in a position where different departments can't effectively collaborate together. So you find yourself as a data professional stuck in between all these interdepartmental conflicts right and at the same time being like it's really simple guys you just need a data warehouse and you just need data replication and metadata and quality and all these python and sql all these fun words but i'll tell you the business could give two hoots about that because they don't want to know how the sausage is made they just want the sausage made right and what I don't think they realize is data is kind of like the travel industry. It's not like sausage. It's not like Johnsonville brat shows up and delivers a sausage and a nice packaging and you can go cook it. It's easy. It's more like the travel industry where you have to figure out where you want to go. You have to research how you're going to get there. You're accountable for your own experience. You just get the privilege of paying with the click of a button. Right. So, So data in many cases requires a lot of work by the business. And if you end up as a data person, not able to effectively communicate and collaborate with them and show them the benefits they can get, how you can help them achieve those benefits, you'll never get anywhere and you'll never get listened to and you'll never get the budget you deserve to actually solve these issues, right? So in my own experience, I struggled with that, right? And and it's what's inspired me to start Xenodata Is I, I hated the feeling I felt uh, when I felt like I didn't have a voice when I knew how to solve the problem, but people don't want to hear the solution. It, it's very different than that. It, I, I think that people don't want to hear about how the solution is solved. They're all ears for the solution. They just need a certain degree of confidence in what you're doing is going to work, right? And that is going to solve a specific business problem and that they're going to benefit. It's 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 an important role, but I think data folks end up being more like enterprise product managers in many cases. And their customer is the employee of that organization. But I also believe that that data person is critical to the success of an organization because they're the ones who are gonna bring people together to be able to solve real organizational change. Otherwise, everything is gonna to continue to be departmental trench warfare. Their data is better than my data or my solution is better than their solution. And the, the, you, you get into a cross-functional team meeting and all of a sudden it's like, he said, she said, and it's frustrating, it's boring, it's myopic, and it's just systemic to bad data management.
1: And, and it's interesting, uh, kind of all that because I'm I'm still learning about the data world and, and how it works. I mean, I know, you know, data is, is a currency in this modern age. I mean, like Slack didn't get bought for billions of dollars because they were running ads or they were monetizing it. This is my understanding. It's because, well, they no, I take that back. They had you know the premium version, but they had a ton of users and a ton of data on those users and how people. Uh we're working, and that's a lot of the valuation. And if I'm saying anything wacky or incorrect, please interrupt me.
0: <laughs> no, and, no, that's fine.
1: But I know, and, and and I think a lot of I was like a lot of startups or something's like they're losing money to to acquire data and information that they then sell to another company that then can take that and utilize it. So, like data as a thing is still very new, and, and it's fascinating because I, I think of people who don't understand it, myself include. It's like, I don't know, man, you're the data wizard. Just make this work. It's like, right. yeah, I am not a wizard. Actually, I can do some cool shit, but like, I can't just like push a couple buttons and solve all your company problems. Right. It's, it's, it's a fascinating take on it. And I think again, to, to, to your point earlier, it's like, it's more as much of about the business and the people involved as it is about whatever's going on on spreadsheets or in databases, uh, things like that.
0: Yeah. Well, you got to understand it's behavioral, right? So a couple of your points there, I'll talk about the Salesforce stuff in a sec, but think of data as health, right? You can go see your doctor, right? You can buy a gym membership, right? And you can take a pill, right? Fish oil, let's say. That's no different than hiring a consultant, buying enterprise software, right? Or, you know, trying a fancy new thing, right? It At the end of the day, the only way that you're going to lose weight, that you're going to get healthy, is if you put in the work, right? And and it's it's true, right? You can sit there and have the best software in the world, but if you don't have good data, it's garbage, right? You can you can have the best, you can be a member of Equinox, but if you're not going to the gym, it's not gonna work, right? You could you can you can have the best consultant in the world with data right? But if you're not changing your behaviors, it doesn't matter. It's like having a great personal trainer, right? So so you can bring those technological resources and those consulting resources to organizations, but if those organizations can't change their own behavior, they're wasting their money, right? And And, and that's where the rubber hits the road with any kind of data. So to your point, I think what's interesting about Salesforce, right, is Salesforce bought Tableau, I think, for like 16 or $18 billion, maybe a year ago or so. And Tableau is like, you know, renowned, probably one of the best, if not, uh, yeah, the best uh, reporting solution on the market, right? It's, it's seen as the market leader. But it connects the Salesforce platform experience to a reporting engine. Then they go after Slack, which is the, probably the number one engagement platform right now on the market, right? So it's all about connecting users to data. And that's how they're thinking about it because they pull in the users through Slack, they're gonna ultimately end their software. And if they use their software, they're gonna get their data, which is gonna go back to drive more engagement. And before you know it, that's that's the name of the game is you're growing adoption in your user base, right? So, mm-hmm. It's super smart because they're just trying to get closer and closer and closer to the business. Right.
1: It's fascinating. Yeah. And, and I guess seeing how, how those things work together for, I mean, what ultimately I would guess is the best experience for the person that's utilizing Salesforce is you have those additional tools and, and making it easier for that user to maybe adapt their behavior to, for adoption. I think, and I wonder if this this holds up because your your weight loss and health thing resonates with me heavily. You know, I think a common thing I hear people say is like, oh, well, I'm, if I buy the membership to this gym, well, I'm going to use it, of course. I can only speak for myself. That shit doesn't work. I've gone months paying gym memberships and haven't stepped foot in the gym. And I wonder if that's similar to, oh, we'll get this data consultant, we'll get this data solution, we'll get the software. Well, if we're paying for it, it's going to work. Right. And no, like I me paying for it is one, is a low level type of behavior, what's going to, I have to then get to the gym. I have to then put in the work and I can't do that once a month. I have to do that three times a week and then I'll see some results. So it's, I think, and, and it's
0: going to take months. It's not going to take a week. Right. And you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. Right. And, and people, people just need to accept that there is no magic bullet on the planet that will help them solve their health or data problems other than (laughs) eating healthy and exercise, just like with data, understanding, documenting, right. And, and engaging people in a way so that the solutions that you're delivering actually add business value. If you're not doing that, like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah.
1: And it's, it's funny. It's like the modern day snake oil in a way of like, and that might not be the best word, but. Everyone wants that diet pill. Everyone wants like the easiest solution to get to, you know, an end goal without any challenges. And that's so seductive and alluring. But if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And I think history has shown that, you know, time and time again. Well, it's funny because I was like, this is like the modern day version of like selling a weight loss pill. Like, hey, take this pill, do nothing, and you're gonna lose, you're gonna get the body you want, six pack abs, whatever it is.
0: It, it salespeople know how to solve for the pain and product people know how to build a shiny UI. Right. And you know, you go out and even if you go out and buy a Ferrari, like it's fulfilling for a while, but it's, it's not going to like change your life. Right. It's, it's just short term. So I, I think organizations just need to be honest with themselves and be like, look, we're accountable for this, but it's okay not to do anything because doing it half-assed is wasteful, distracting, demoralizing, ineffective, but not doing anything, you're going to get eaten alive by your competitors over time, right? So you got to pick your poison, right? Is is do you want to, you know, build your organization around a data core, right? Or do you want to continue with this like 1990s Harvard Business School case study philosophies of, you know, you've got your CEO and your VP of this and your VP of that, and you need to work up these chains to be able to drive any kind of organizational benefit, right? It should be, you've got a customer and a supplier, and in between the two is a platform, and all employees should be supporting that platform or that exchange of information between those two parties. That's where like Amazon and Facebook and all Uber have been a Come in and just like crush different industries right and you'll start seeing that in other places like you know insurance becoming placement with the click of a button we, we just moved right and we were able to book the entire move like an uber experience right we never called everyone we they just showed up and it was all they showed us where they were Domino's same thing like domino's pizza one of their big value props is they show their like amazon like hey where's my pizza right that's part of the value. That's why people are buying it: transparency, speed, convenience, right? And ultimately, it's the trust.
1: Yeah, D- dominance is interesting because I love how they've really adapted. One, they just changed their pizza for the better, and then they turned into more early adopters of doing some cool stuff. You know, they had that hey, tweet a, p- a pizza emoji and you order it. And you know, it, in the end of the day, like. It, it's a, it's a means to an end to get someone that pizza, to get that trust. I mean, I think there's a lot of, a lot of examples seeing that, but it was fascinating you, you mentioned that because they, they are like, you know, keeping like a core thing. You've been selling, people have been selling pizza for decades, but they're just touching on some different stuff to maybe, you know, in, enhance that. What I'm curious on, because I'm curious, anyone who's ever started the business, you know, is close to my heart. I, I'm curious of what it was like maybe, one, when you were first, the first genesis of the idea, I need to start a company to solve all these issues because there's an unaddressed need within the world of data that companies have, like they, they need this. And so one, maybe the idea of Data, and then two, the weeks leading up to your last day of work in, in, in the corporate world to going full-time on that. that, those types of stories are my favorite. So I'm curious what that was like for you.
0: Sure. So, so like I said earlier, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, even from when I was a kid. And, you know, I did a bunch of stuff growing up that was entrepreneurial. And and I love that, right? And those are some of my better memories. What, what, what pushed me over the edge, right, is I kept listening to what other people were saying. I kept being indecisive. And it was almost like the universe started putting me under so much pain of avoiding the decision that I just couldn't resist it anymore. And, and I knew that this is my life and I only have one life to live. And if I don't do it now, this is the time, this is who I wanna be. And even if it's not successful, I, at least I tried, right? And not to say that I had this like am- amazing business idea and like, it's like, oh, I'm gonna be the Uber of Facebook of Domino's, right? I, it, was, it was more like, oh man, I have domain knowledge around this. I know how painful it was for me to, to go down this journey. I never want anyone to have to go through that pain as a data leader, it, it just kind of learning the, 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 the common pitfalls of, of stepping into that role, right? And I also want executive leaders to get benefit out of data because they struggle to allocate resources to the right people. To, to, to actually achieve some of these transformations right so in some organizations you've got hungry executives who are looking to make these changes right and then some of these org and, and they have no one in their business who can actually do it and then in some of these other organizations you've got these people in the business really hungry to make that transformation but the executives are closed closing their ears to it right which is not uncommon either and it you need to build that bridge so That's kind of what drove me over the edge is like, it wasn't like I had this crazy business plan. I'm like, look, this is a problem. It's very painful for me in my own career development. I never want anyone to have to go through that again. I want to help executive leaders Coach their organizations to go through this because I think it's meaningful and essential to them remaining relevant organizations. And I've just kind of chipped that away ever since. And and, and since we started, we've worked with some massive brands. We've worked with Anheuser-Busch InBev. We've worked with Ulta Beauty. We've worked with Williams Lee. We've worked with boutique companies like MA Insurance Solutions, right? And we've even launched a software product to help people do it themselves. So, like, it's been an evolution, right? So, it wasn't like all this was the idea on day one. It was I know why I'm on this planet, right? And I know what I want to do. And I know the problem that I want to solve. And let's try to build a business around it. And, you know, I I set out with a goal of let's just make a dollar. And then that quickly became a million, right? And then it quickly became more than that. And then it pivoted from services to recurring revenue with product, right? And it all just started with, hey, I've got two types of people who I work with and I know where you're going to face challenges, and you know, for a quick, low-cost engagement, we can get things right-sized started, and we'll even help you solve the problem if you'd like us to. And uh, that it brings me a lot of joy. It, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, like the 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 confidence and pride I feel from the people who I have helped means more to me than anything. And if every customer we've had has, has become a referral, right? So it's not like, you know, we sold people the snake oil, and they're like, oh shit, you know, and they're not embarrassed to like raise their hand. You know, I've got referral, literally I I had a referral come in today, which came into a demo and then two or three in the past week from two or three customers. So, you know, what we're doing is real. I'm proud of it. It's authentic. It's helpful. And it's the life I want to live. So that's kind of how we got to where, or how I got to where we are today.
1: That's awesome. And I think connecting a couple parts of your story and what what you were saying, that like when you're saying the the, the pain that you've gone through, the struggles that you you know, you wanted to solve that for other people. You didn't want them to have to go through the same thing. Is that what you were referring to when you were saying like, you know, you were caught in between departments kind of getting pulled different ways. Is that more or less like what was painful about when you were working in the corporate environment?
0: Yeah. Because think about it. Most executive leaders are probably in their forties, fifties and sixties. Right. And they didn't learn this stuff in business school. Right. They didn't learn platform revolution. Right. They were learning about like, change management and, you know, finance and M&A and more kind of classical stuff. So it, the hardest thing about being a data leader is not being heard, right? Because what you're talking about doesn't have an audience, right? And then the other thing is, it's not like there's a CFA, right, for data leaders. There are tests out there and there are things, but data is so broad. It's not just like, it's, it's not just like a single discipline, like accounting, right? CPA or whatever, right? You need to understand data management, you need to understand analytics, you need to understand data science, you need to understand data product development, you need to understand data warehousing, you need to understand data modeling. And each one of those are really, really deep and rich disciplines, right? It's not like you can just pick up a hammer and a saw and get to work, right? So, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're in the business, you're in sales, you're like, hey, the data guy, will figure it out. Well, what you don't see is the data guy doesn't have a budget, doesn't have a support from executive leadership like beyond like, oh, that guy's smart, right? And then probably doesn't know what they're doing because there's no playbook for success with data, right? And, and there's, there's a lot of content out there but it's so high level and not actionable. Right, that it, you know, it, it, it gets old. It's like, yeah, we need to have a data strategy. You know, okay, great. We'll have, we'll go out and buy a BI solution. Right. That's kind of where it stops. But those, they're just kind of stuck in the middle and they grind out. So you got these smart people who, one, are analytically savvy, can communicate, right, can code, getting run out of organizations because they're not empowered right they're not given a budget but part of that's their own fault because they don't know how to ask for it they don't know what they need to be successful right so you've got all the recipe are the ingredients to build like a wonderful recipe right but you don't have the right recipe to bring it all together to ensure any kind of success and that and that's why i don't know if you knew this but but you know billions of dollars are spent on software and data analytics solutions worldwide right and, and I've read before that like, I don't know, 60 to 80% of these projects don't meet their intended benefits. So billions of dollars are being wasted on these projects every day, but people accept it because it's normal, right? So like it's become the status quo, but over time, organizations are going to get savvy and they're going to start going past it. And the organizations that are still taking, you know, three weeks to get a report to an executive to make a decision and then the data is wrong and then it goes back to a revision are the same organizations that are insisting on using the phone as opposed to like text based customer service or some kind of software based customer service. The same companies who aren't able to build out recurring revenue models for their organization you know they're just going to slowly go down and lose their share just because maybe you know you know older generations prefer the heavy touch service the white glove you know the people to people stuff but the younger generations i you know they want to go to Snapchat and Instagram to get something done right that's where a lot of e- e-commerce is going so this is the way of the world this is how it's going to go you know embrace it or Fall I off. Guess, it's, I, I was I was gonna say embrace it or die, but I guess that's kind of dark. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, in the business, in the business sense, yeah, you can, you can go. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's there's you know, knowing like, well, we need to have customer service that's super white glove. That's what makes it. I think what was fascinating about data, and this is kind of me speaking with my marketing hat on. It's like. Well, like segmenting your customers, like, well, what if you had a way, and I'm just totally imagining a solution that you could do for an organization with, you know, what I know about it. it's like, Hey, we we got like 10,000 visitors or customers a month or a ton, but some of them are insanely high value. So how do we segment the highest value from the lowest value? And then, so we know when it is appropriate to pick up that phone and spend time on customer service for the high value client versus here's like an an automated text or bot system, chat bot for either a brand new customer or someone kind of bridging that gap. And then then you can see the whole spectrum as opposed to here's the one way we do it and we're, we ain't changing that. Because if you're only automated, some people might be like, well, then there's no, you can't build a brand that way. You can't necessarily have all as much customer service because sometimes it is beneficial to get someone on the phone. But you're, what, what you would say is, here's here's data that shows here's the best way to spend your time and resources maybe
0: right right and and you know what what you're highlighting is a pretty simple example like let's segment our customers and serve them more efficiently right the, where that problem falls off the rail at most organizations is if i took you in a room and we segmented your customers it wouldn't be hard but your sales team is 100 people everyone's going to have a different opinion Right. And then you go to the marketing team, marketing team goes, sales seems stupid. They don't know what they're talking about. Right. They don't know how to get customers. Right. They're only good at closing deals. Right. They, they, and then, then, then the finance team goes, you know, that's not really a customer. Technically, that's multiple accounts at the same customer billing. You know what I'm saying? And then the CEO's like, I just care what the top line is. And then before you know it, you guys have talked the issue to death. There's no execution that's happened, right? And, and there's no solution, right? So, so there is a balance between, you know, execution and, and understanding what you need to accomplish. And I, I think that's where organizations... Miss the mark with data, but to your point, there definitely should be. Let's say you know, 10% of customers get the white glove service, but then 90% get the standard software offering. In many cases, that's all they want, right? Like, who wants to call someone to change an airline ticket? Like, no one. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, who who wants to call someone to return an item? Like, I, I those are probably intentionally designed to be hard, but processes but like yeah um, definitely are (laughs) you know but but that's what i'm saying is 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 yeah
1: yeah it's yeah how, how do you minimize barriers when they need to be as minimal as possible i mean i don't necessarily i'm more in tune with like the zappos model of hey send it back for free we'll replace it or amazon that's like you know they stopped having you even wrap up your returned item they'll just like just drop it off we will t- at the UPS store we'll take care of it I'm like holy cow how amazingly easy is it and and of course I mean they have ass loads of data that and and money to, to make that work but they've been around for many many years but I, I, an idea I thought and and I'm curious like how how you see yourself fitting in because I'm, I'm thinking of those data people that find themselves with no budget, no support, no direction, yet they're incredibly smart and talented of you help them do what they need to do, do what they were hired to do and do what they want to do. But then maybe also talking to those executives and the C-level people of like, it's almost like you're a marriage counselor. You're like, you executives need to understand how this works, how, you know why it's v- beneficial and here are your folks to do it. And almost like, they if, if I guess if they don't understand it or see the value then they can never support these people that they've hired to do it so it's almost like you know are you talking to both both sides because once I would hope that once the executives see what's you know get enlightened it's it's a no-brainer in my opinion like if you're spending yeah. millions of dollars on stuff and most of that like, to, what, to what you were saying of most of you know 80% of them don't even get to their intended use like, in my imagination is a lot of these companies are just bleeding money on stuff. And if they can get that light bulb moment, then you can help them empower their people to finish that.
0: It, the, the waste is millions in every company. It's uh, hundreds of thousands to millions. It's very correlated with revenue generally, right? So the bigger the organization, the bigger the problem. And it's not just wasteful technology spend. It's also the loss in productivity. Because if you have your employees jumping between six different solutions that all have 60% of the problem solved you know, they're wasting days and weeks of their time. And if you can reclaim that productivity, you can either allocate them the higher order tasks, which will make your organization smarter, or two, you can just remove that headcount, right? And and be more draconian about it and, and get the financial benefit there too, right? So So there's two ways to kind of skin the cat. But to your point, it's not about teaching the executives what data management is, right? It's about communicating with the executives in a way that they understand. I was talking to a data leader today and, and he said that they only think in terms of the PNL, but that's only one dimensional way of thought, right? That's great. You can be critical of them all day long, but that's what they're measured on. That's what their bonus is. That's all they give a shit about, right? So, so how do you communicate what you're trying to, comp- to, to achieve, right? In a PNL kind of benefit in real dollars, not like, hey, if you do this, it's gonna save the company $10 billion. No, like a real business case to where if you give me $100,000, I can give you back 500. So that the CEO can sit there and be like, well, this is a no brainer. You know, We'll we'll do these little projects all day, assuming you can be successful. And then that's the other side of the coin, which is what are the steps do they need to be successful? So it's actually minimizing the communication that the executive hears, right, but keeping it focused and at the same time communicating with the delivery team in a way that bridges the gap. So what happens is the data leader is essentially sitting there saying, hey, executive team, here's the benefit. Here's the use case we're gonna tackle. I'm gonna make you a million bucks. It's gonna cost $500,000, okay? Are you okay with that? Yes or no? Okay, yes, okay, here's the team I need. Okay, great. And then you go off and do the work. So we help on both sides of that coin. And what happens organically? So we were going with a large organization and we were brought in by the data leader. And we were going through all the steps and they bought into the process. And then they're like, let's socialize this with executives. So I sat in an hour long meeting, I didn't say anything. I just listened to the other team complain about data for 58 minutes. <laughs> and and I, I go, let me just ask a question. VPs in the room, there's a VP at a big company, right? So a real VP and all due respect to other VPs, but the, 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 he he says, I I go around the room, I go, so what, if you were going to say your data quality, what is it on a scale of one to a hundred, let's just say a percent, they go around the room, like 97, 98, 99, you know, the lowest one was like 82. And the VP is like, you're saying that we spend all this time bitching about data and you're saying it's 80% accurate. That's good enough for me, right? So you know, executives are just sick of hearing about the noise. They just want to know, okay, what are we going to do? What's the benefit? Let's move forward. Let's keep it simple. But then the data person is going to be like, but Python, SQL, Tableau, Salesforce, you know? And 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 that's where they lose their audience. And at the same time, you know, sometimes the data person is too high level and they're going to their technical team and they're being like, just do this now. Right. And, and then they can't get anything done. So they're kind of caught in the middle. And it's being able to translate strategic vision to tactical requirements, which will make any of them successful.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's, I feel like every time we, we chat, i learn something and just, you know, cause, and, and you, you touched on like, you know, these, these like executives that are looking at bottom line. I mean, it sounds like you, you primarily probably work with public companies or, I mean, you work with public, private, but a lot of the examples I think seem to be on um, public, right?
0: Uh, no, I I think that the the common theme is investor backed, right? Okay. So public companies are going to care about earnings per share and private equity backed companies are going to care about EBITDA and they're both going to care about EPS or EBITDA accretion is the word. So how do you grow your profitability relative to revenue? Okay. Because ultimately that's how you're going to value those companies because you're going to be trading off a multiple of that. So as long as your data initiatives are driving EBITDA or EPS accretion, you're going to be number one on their deal book. And the really the question is, is you're going to go back to those executives and be like, Hey, you can go out and spend, you know, a hundred million dollars, put a hundred million dollars of capital at work. And you can go get this, I don't know, a $40 million company that generates $10 million of cash. That's actually a pretty good company. And your return on your investment is going to be 10% year over year. right? Or, hey, for that million dollar data project, give me $500,000. Right. And I'm going to give you $500,000 back year over year or even more. Right. So you're looking at a 50% return on investment. Right. And if a data leader says, hey, look, stop listening to the M&A guy, give me less money to generate more results. Right. People start listening, but that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is, is here's what we're going to do not how we're going to do it. And, and that's ultimately what's going to drive those benefits. So, yeah. So going back to your point, any company that has a investor sitting on top of them tends to be more financially disciplined than a privately owned company. So that's where we're at.
1: Interesting. And, and it really comes to it like in, in meetings that we've all been in and we're like, what are we even talking about? It's like, I think anything can be boiled down into like that two to three thing. You want to make more money here's how here's one way to do it it's going to be lower i'm trying to think of that basically the difference between the 100 million dollar example to get 10 percent return and this might be a simplified version of your example or hey just half a million to save half a million but that half a million saved is year over year and that's maybe just one of many many projects i think It's almost uh, the curse of knowledge is a a, a word or excuse me, a phrase. There's a few other versions that people have of that. But I think in this world where everyone's very specialized in what they do, it's almost like your terminology, your expertise is a barrier to just getting across like what are the simplest business goals? And my kind of assertion is like every business is kind of simple. You sell a product or service and make money from it and there's expenses that go out that support that. That's it. And actually one of my favorite business books ever, the goal is what -hmm. they call it, inventory throughput and expenses. And and that as a model, and in the book, he's working in a very complicated like manufacturing plant. But it's, I think, you know, I think it's easy for people in business to lose sight of that marketing too. You're talking about all kinds of retargeting and lookalike audiences and attribution models and a lot of stuff that I don't even get but it's like why are we doing this oh yeah to have maybe a higher order value to have a better retention of clients you know more likely to reorder it all comes down to all just very simple business goals kind of in the end I think so I think it's it's interesting that and not shocking sadly that you're like in a meeting it was funny you're like yeah 58 minutes I just sat there and then it was like let's just bring it back to some reality.
0: That's all that matters. Right. And, and I know it's kind of disheartening, but that's why you're there. That's the goal. Any company's goal is to be profitable and the more profitable a company is, the more it can drive its mission. Right.
1: Yeah. Which I believe, and I, I love how business has evolved. So many are mission based have more than just, you know, beyond the profit. It's like how, you know, what's your impact, what's your give back, you know, it's almost become a requirement. It's not necessary, but I mean, most businesses realize that they need to have a why behind what they're doing, et cetera. Yeah. It
0: it becomes harder to sell, harder to claim value. And and there's these companies that have stated and unstated values, right? And, And I think that's where employees get confused because the stated values are very different than what happens, right? And unstated values are very powerful, right? So understanding how an organization behaves is its values, the reflection of its values. So if it says, hey, people first, but every year they lay off X amount of people, it's not a people first company, right? It, <laughs> it's a profit-based company. So, so then you've got to just align to that and be like, look, my company just wants to make as much cash as possible. And uh, you know, here's how data can support that. And, you know, don't, don't try to impose your values on that system and, you know, go with it. And if you don't want to go with it, go elsewhere, you
1: know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it was cool on what you were saying earlier on kind of how you've adapted into like some models that are more recurring, I think, and you can, you can give a better recap. You, when you're starting, it seemed like you were doing a lot of like, like big projects, like like, embed type stuff. But it seems like you've adapted more into some other types of of ways that you've adapted and grown your business specifically. How how do you see yourself going forward? And kind of, I mean, maybe just like real quick, like where you're at now and where you've come from within the company, you know, Data that you started and where do you see yourself going in 2021 now that we're almost one month into it? Yeah, we've (laughs) we've made it.
0: Yeah, I know. It, 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 so I'm, I'm just evolving to meet the needs of the market, right? So here's what I found is, is it more valuable to you to have a personal trainer, for example, work with you extensively for 30 days, right? And then vanish, and then you're just left to figure it out, right? Or is it more valuable to you to have someone there for the whole year, right? Maybe you don't talk as much, but they're always there. And maybe you're having a bad day eight months in, Right. And you can talk to someone and be like, ah, this is what we're trying to do. Here's how we get there. And it helps. So for us, we're seeing that it's more of a longer term journey for organizations. So we've changed the offer to support that. And we've also changed the offer to where it helps organizations be self-sufficient as opposed to having third parties deliver solutions that they can't sustain right? Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, give someone something that they can't manage themselves, right? Because that doesn't help them. That could only hurt them, right? So uh, that's where we just partner with organizations. So we dropped the costs, we upped the value, we extended the term of it, and we put together basically a managed service around data governance. So it's part solution, part part support. And, you know, where software vendors are just going to leave you with a solution and you have to figure it out, or consultants you know, deliver something that you're going to have to figure out. We want to be there with your journey. And sometimes that's two, three years. And we think our, our offer and our solution helps people go through that journey.
1: That's awesome. And I, and I definitely see that of, Hey, we're coming in 30 days or to, for the personal training thing. And by the end of the 30 days, I'm going to be in some good shape. Yeah, And is, but for some folks, maybe that's what they need for others. It's like, ah, uh, but now I'm by myself. It's almost like, you're that support system to ensure that, you know, people's behaviors change, people's outlooks and perceptions on how they look at it. And I, I wonder where business and, and people like thought, like, why Why did anyone ever think that you could snap your fingers and suddenly people are going to change their behaviors just because they work for you? Just because you pay them? Like, I, I don't think that's the case. And I think that's where it, I, it's, it's human behavior to me is is one of the only constants. And it's almost like, it's very random, but it's also predictable. It's like you give people that support continually, they're, they're going to change. And, and that's almost, that's as important as maybe what you're doing on that front end. Is that, I mean, so you're, maybe that's going back to that counselor, the marriage counselor example, but then also, hey, the personal trainer we've worked closer together and now, oh man, I'm just struggling. I need some help. Hey, let me reach out. Almost like a mentor. Maybe I don't know.
0: Well, that's how I see it. And the the benefit to the the data leader is, you know, they don't have to learn in front of other people, right? Which hurts their credibility sometimes, right? Because they don't look like they know what they're doing, right? And the second you do that, you know, people will start to second guess you. It's just how they are, right? And then the benefit to the executive is that they know what they invested in is going to get done because they've got someone shadowing them that they trust, right? So, so that's kind of how I see it. Like I said, you know, we learned over time that people are like, wow, by the mega projects and the delivery of those mega projects. But I think what will lead to sustainable change and what we see is the long-term commitment because guess what? Executives come and go. Data leaders come and go. The organizations we work with are hundreds of years old or hundred year old plus, right? So how do we make sure that their commitment to moving away from a hierarchical, people-based organization to a flatter, cross-functional, data-centric organization is actually sustainable, right? And the second we disengage from the account, we can't help them with that journey. So that's why we changed the offer to make it an affordable, a longer-term commitment, and and just add more value over time as opposed to the whole like snap your finger and it's done. And I, I think you learn in life that anything that can be done instantly is not really fulfilling and generally not as successful as it could be. Like, look at all the, like the email marketing automation that's out there. It's very easy to like contact a million people in a month. Right. But at the same time, they don't care. Right. So like, why bother? Right. So, so, so why, why even do the work to even reach out to all those people if you're not going to tell them something that actually matters and is interesting. So you know, you got to make sure what you're doing is valuable and impactful and sustainable.
1: Yeah. And I think that all circles back to what she's, what you touched on in the beginning. I mean, you're, you're a people person, you're an entrepreneur at heart and you're in a space that hasn't traditionally been seen as like, yeah, you know, those data guys are like, you know, those are the most outgoing people in the company. It's like, well, where you know that it's it, that that's where you're fundamentally rooted. And I, I think that's that's fascinating, and it's just a different, maybe a paradigm shift. And again, I'd, I'd be curious what you know, friends of mine who who work more in these corporate type of companies, because I, I get most of my info from you know friends, family, and LinkedIn of like what's the corporate world like. But it's it's no, it's you're you're looking to enact behavioral change within the realm of of data and how organizations are structured to advance and if it could be at the at the scale of a snap of a finger like like that again that goes that's the magic bullet and that just doesn't exist so you're 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 like a it's almost like you're a mentor business coach who does a lot of technical stuff but can help enact like you know, maybe like along, I don't know if people need culture change, but just change around maybe past ideas and things of what you said of the, like the nineties Harvard business school model of how business and like, maybe a lot of people are still running stuff. It's like, no, we need to, we need to shift that mindset into something that is in the 20, you know, 2021 and beyond, and, and to be able to adapt quickly with how fast technology obviously is changing.
0: Yeah. You need to be flexible and adaptable and and the benefits are all to the company, right? And to the employees and to the customers. Like it's, it's one of those unique situations that's win, 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 right? Because think about it, your employees become more productive, right? Which generally is going to increase morale and make them happier, right? Because they're not doing BS clerical tasks. (laughs) Your customers are going to be happier because you're going to be perceived as more innovative, right? And you're going to be delivering your service more efficiently and more effectively. And the executives are going to be happy because all of a sudden, let's say a a legacy business services company now has a software solution that they can offer their clients. One, they've now got a recurring revenue stream from a one-time transactional business, right? So their multiple is now not on profitability, but on revenue. So if they were 10 X margin before, right? A profitability, now they're 10 X revenue, which is essentially increasing their valuation hundred X, right? Assuming they're making like a 10% margin or so, right? So, so you're making the company more valuable. You're making your customers happier. You're making your employers happier, employees happy. Like, okay, the, the risk is failure, but failure seems to be the norm. So why not try something different? Why not be disciplined in the approach? You know, recognize that it takes time. Be thoughtful and methodical and principled about how you go to solve these problems and recognize that, you know, there's no magic bullet out there and, and there won't ever be a magic bullet, right? And the second that you start thinking there's a magic bullet, you know, it's time just to give your keys to your car away and be yeah. prepared for a ride, right? Because, you know, that's going to sink your ship and 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 it's not worth it. Uh, yeah,
1: when you think that, that risk of failure is not there. And oh no, this is gonna solve all our problems. Like, oh, Data is
0: easy. The intern can do
1: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I get that all the time. It's like, great, you know? Oh, that's how like,
1: I- and I won't go on this right, but the whole thing of like, you know, you and I are older millennials and, and then now we've got like Gen Z it's like, oh yeah, these like Gen Z are like so good with data and like technology and like, no, they know how to like use Snapchat and TikTok. Like they're not like coding stuff. Now, there are a lot of people who are learning coding at a much younger age because that's how education is adapted. And I freaking love it. Yeah. I used to, I, I was a teacher in a county where every student got a laptop and they and so they got that in sixth grade. So I was teaching ninth, tenth graders. And it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, these kids just grew up with technology. They're like, you know, they're smart I'm like, yeah, they know how to play games and they know how to like hack the firewall that prevents them from playing games, but they can't make a PowerPoint for shit. They can't access like, you know, Google Drive. Like they still need training on that. It's like, you know, these assumptions that people make of what younger generations are like, it's like, no, it's not, they, they don't just, it's not like speaking a native language where, you know, I, you know, I speak English natively. Am I going to be able to teach it? No. And, 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 and tech, that's just not even the best example of like that doesn't translate. No, uh, uh,
0: monkeys can use iPads, right? That doesn't mean you're a a tech, right? So a tech wizard. And, you know, what we'll see over time is a lot of these technical skills are going to become less and less valuable. Like there's this whole no code movement right now, where if you want to, you can build your own app, right? Without knowing how to code, right? So I I, I think there's always, there's this assumption that like someone else is going to figure it out. But again, you're in the same position where you're putting your destiny in someone else's hands, right? And as an executive leader, you know, come on, right? Like, okay, yeah, the next generation will be successful. Maybe the next generation will invent a cure to COVID, like, you know, 40 years later, it's not going to happen. Someone needs the pony up and do the work now and, and, and make the sacrifices and make those commitments to drive that kind of growth, right? There's I think, you know, we live in a world where, you know, there's a lot of terminal diseases that can't be treated, you know, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, these are all real things, right? And ironically enough, those are actually driven by people's sense of instant gratification, trying to get like the easy solution, right? They'll go to the gym for two weeks, but then eat unhealthy for the rest of the year, right? So, so it, 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 there, there's like, I keep going back to there, with data. There's no magic bullet. You just got to do the work. You just got to know what the work is and you got to know how to engage other people in doing the work because it's a team effort, right? There's no unicorn talent out there that can like fix data for you. There's not like some like crazy coder or whatever who can come in there. Right. Because imagine if you, you take the most talented person on the planet, you put Elon Musk or, 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 or Jeff Bezos, right. in in any one of these situations, they won't be successful unless they can get the resources they need and engage the people around them to solve the problem and know what to do on how to solve the problem. And and those are the fundamental issues plaguing, fundamental issues plaguing uh, data initiatives.
1: It's almost like the assumption is, well, the the solution's in the data, so you need nothing else. Like, yeah, just go and type on your computer, I guess, and you'll figure this all out. No, what you've said is there's other people involved. There's other agendas, egos, perceptions of what is the right way to steer, even if we're all on the same team, which way are we going? And, and once that component happens, then it's like more than just, you know, the data. It's not just, you know, cracking the, the code. Oh, look at this. Look at this code I made. I don't know. Yeah, who cares? Now we're, Now we're like 10x profitable. <laughs> like, I don't know about that, which yeah. would be sweet.
0: Uh, and if it, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Right,
1: right. And if you could do that, be like, yeah, my fee is like $50,000 an hour because I'm going to save <laughs> yeah. you millions because you don't need anyone else but me. I'm the only one I can do this. And I can I can ensure 100% success without having to talk to anyone else or getting other folks to work together. And that's, you know, in the end, like, all, like the challenges, you know, you're solving data challenges, but you're also solving like communication challenges, which is going to be, in any organization anytime more than one person has to interact or one person has to interact with another human being there's going to be those types of challenges and so it seems like you're you're bridging that gap with your in your specific niche and expertise of what companies can do with data and almost like a gold mine that they're sitting on if they knew how to like i could say open up that chest of gold or get past that dragon who's guarding it. It's like, dude, we can get past, we can get through this dragon, but we all need to be here. together.
0: They they just need a map. That's it. Because Uh, organizations have all the people they need. They just need to know what the process is and then follow that process over time. It's not hard. Like if you go to the gym and you want to work out a specific part of your body, you know what the exercises are and you know you need to do it X times per week. I think sometimes with data, they don't even know what that is, right? So once you figure that out, then it becomes inexcusable not to do it, right? And then you check in periodically. It's like, have you been doing this? Have you been doing this? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, then this won't be successful. Like, stop. Uh, it's okay to stop. You Just stop. Don't, don't like pretend yeah. like you're doing something innovative because I don't think there is anything more Uninnovative than companies investing millions of dollars in solutions that don't drive business value,
1: yeah. and
0: and I, and there's a lot of vaporware out there. Don't get me wrong. Like I've worked with salespeople who've said, "I have no idea what I'm selling," and I don't think our customers know what they're buying, right? And these are million-dollar transactions, right? And, and and there's there's a real thing out there, right? So so like I'm saying, buying the next AI-enabled blockchain platform, whatever, like. Stop, just stop. It, be innovative by stopping. Not doing something is innovative from my vantage uh, at that point because think about it like five years ago is big data, then it was cloud, then it was blockchain and now we're on AI and RPA, right What's next right and and you know eventually you know blockchain is gonna eh, you know big data is gonna eh, you know these are just trends. And if you're buying things that just address those trends, that are not driving business benefit. Good luck.
1: Yeah. You're going to be hopping from lily pad to lily pad. I need to stop thinking. My, my metaphors have like really tanked over the <laughs> last hour. But I was, I was like, what am I talking about with this? Fighting a dragon? Because, because it all came back to, you know, the, I think the weight loss one is, is such a great metaphor, microcosm. If you yeah. can understand that behavioral and the cha- the behavioral change necessary to get through that, I think that can be applied to anywhere. Anywhere. Yes. Cause it's a fundamental thing that many people, not everyone want to have. I know I've been there, you know, myself, I thought I was right. doing good stuff. Once I was like, I'm going to have mixed nuts in my house. Cause nuts I read are a healthy <laughs> snack. Well, lo and behold, there's a fuckload of fat in them. And <laughs> so while I thought I was being healthy, I, like you said, I should have just stopped. I did eventually. Cause I was like, what the hell is going on here with these, with this, Ostensibly healthy snack, but it's like yeah, no, there's half, no there's half four there's, of them and you're good. I was it, having multiple handfuls.
0: It's like keto. It's like, oh man, I'm gonna burn all this weight, but at the same time, the amount of cholesterol that comes with eating eggs, bacon, and red meat. Okay, so it's like great, you know, you, you've got a six pack, but now you've shortened your life ten years because you're gonna have <laughs> heart disease. Right. So, so like it's, it's balance, like everything needs balance. Right. And every, every system is different. So how do you balance, you know, people process and technology, not to be cliche, but to, to, to be able to achieve an optimal outcome for the environment you're in.
1: Absolutely. Well, last thing I want to ask and answer as briefly or thoroughly as you like, I've still got some time. I know we're a little bit over, you know, we, we mentioned, you know, first month of 2021, fresh year. How, how how are you feeling in 2021 compared maybe to January 20th and, may, and specifically about your business, your, you know, your role in your business, how you're acting in it? Are, you know, are you feeling more confident, more, you know, fearful, whether it has anything to do with Rona or not, I don't care, but just like, you know, where you're at now, maybe compared to last year or even like, Maybe two years ago, kind of what what are you looking ahead to?
0: Yeah, I I think it's part of the privilege of a founder's mindset. You got to understand, Paul. I I started the business with a goal of making a dollar, right? And and I invested thousands of dollars at getting it going, right? So like, my risk tolerance is probably a lot higher than the average person. So you know, we're in year three now. We've survived a pandemic. We haven't taken any federal funding. We've seed funded we bootstrapped our own seed funding we've built a proprietary technology product we have five very strong case studies we've supported fortune 100 companies we have supported companies under a million dollars in revenue we've helped them actually grow profitability so they're very strong case studies so you know from my vantage we're still early right but you know our success has been our own we've done it by ourselves and, you know, I I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. There, there's a lot of areas I'd like to improve obviously, but at the same time, when you start at zero, you know, how tough zero is. So when you're at, you know, two or three, I don't know if that's even audacious for me to say two or three, maybe I'm at one, you know, I, I know what zero is like. So one's actually pretty empowering.
1: <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, it's like, I think exponential growth but also like the feeling of that momentum like dude I made a dollar and then now I've got this other stuff and now you know the next project and then adapting and then you you find yourself maybe in a position you're like sweet I'm working as hard as I want to and stuff is coming before me I was about to say manifesting in front of me but that word is often taken in the wrong way just like I'm creating these outcomes I'm doing great work with great companies, and I'm not having to struggle as much for it. But we know, like you know, first year, or two, like I'm in my third year as well. And I think also that's why we kind of like connect. Of like, we're, you know, we're we've both started something of a similar timeline, and yeah, it's it's fascinating seeing your growth. And I know from us chatting, you know, kind of right around Rona time and how you've pivoted. I think, I mean, I think I love what you're doing. I love seeing seeing your path and your journey. And you know, I think if I know we'll talk more, but this time next year, I think you're going to be like, you know, it's going to be a different type of conversation. You probably adapted your stuff because you've already within three years adapted and and modeled after the market. But dude, I I think, I think you got some phenomenal stuff ahead of you for sure.
0: We'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I used to think like, you know, you, you, you put it out in the universe it comes back to you as kind of like hokey but it's very real. Like if if you put good out there, good comes back. And you know, I've met a lot of interesting people who I never would have met otherwise, and I've helped a lot of people who I never would have helped otherwise. And you know, it's, it's that's how we connected, right? It's 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 very real. So if if you know what you want to do and you're you're trying to provide value to people, you know, the results will come.
1: Yeah, and and even just being like focused and centered on like what am I trying to do here and that, and i found this to be a common thing with people i've spoken with and i'm assuming it's going to continue to be you're thinking of i, w- I want to alleviate pain from data leaders people in that i, I want them to have the best i think you and, and i didn't even touch on this before you said i want them to go home not feeling stressed so you said something to that effect yeah. So you're, you're coming from a place of like, I want to do good in this world and here's how I'm going to do it. It's through, you know, the, these data initiatives and, and solutions that I have. And you, and yeah, you put some good stuff out there. Even like six, eight months can seem like an eternity when you're starting out. That, that was my experience. But then yeah, stuff that you did a while back, someone sees it, someone connects on it. And, but it, no matter what, you feel good at the end of the day. You're Like I, I did what I set out to do and that, and that was valuable to somebody else. And then just things happen but also because people like work to see those happen for you like people will work on your behalf if, if you're if you're helpful and and that's you know i think that's cool like you know where your your mindset is i've, I've certainly found that to be true myself yeah
0: no oh, the amount of kindness by people and some surprising some unsurprising like has been tremendous you know some people have really helped me and i i i think that people need to be especially kind of founders <laughs> because they're really going out on a limb. So like, take a call, you know, and, you know, get to know what they're about. Right. Because it's not like they're hawking something else that to, to pay the bills. Right. They're, they're, they're committed to something that they believe in. And, and if what they're saying, at least electronically is compelling, talk to them because you never know what you might get out of it. They're not, they're not trying to take, they're trying to give and be responsive to that.
1: Yeah. It's it's not easy. It feels very vulnerable when you're like, here is my idea and my business, and this is how I've chosen to make a living in this world. Because when you're in that position, you're like, if I fail, I have the social like quote getting laughed at, and maybe no one ever is like pointing and laughing at you. But that was a real fear that I had. I was like, well, fuck, like if, if if this doesn't work, then I'm like the shame of it, whether real or perceived. I was like, I don't, I don't want that. And so I'm like, but I'm still going to believe in it to go forward. And, and, and what, when you're at a point where you're like, bank account is dripping down low. I don't know when this next invoice is getting paid or when the next one's going out. The, the realness of that, it is, it's like unlike any other experience and people are really putting themselves out there at least. And that's why I love talking with with founders and starters because I think that's something that we all go through.
0: Yeah, it's, it's very real. I mean, it, and, and your vendors are always quick to want their money before your customers want to pay you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you're stuck in the middle, right? And it's 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 super challenging. It's very real. And I, I was talking to other founders and, and their their biggest fears are are like their their spouses leaving them because they're not able to provide them the life that they expected, right? Because that financial uncertainty comes with missed opportunities and opportunity cost. And yeah, the group of male startup founders, that was their biggest fear. So it's not just the money, right? It's it's your life, right?
1: It is. Yeah. It's it's thinking. You're at a point, you know, in an age. I'm in my mid thirties. I'm like, well, if if I was, you know, when I was starting all over again, I'm like, well, I've seen people my age who are like way further along in a career than I'll ever be. If I were to start over, I would be like, way has beneath them within the organization, or just starting out, or skill set, and it's all that. It's like, you know, what would happen if, you know, then yeah, my my significant other leaves me. I'm I'm here. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's it's it, you face that and then if you get through it, it's almost like nothing can stop you because you get through that that point. I think. I mean, I'm sure I you know, it would be sad to talk to someone who's like, Yeah, I failed and I've never recovered from it, I'd be like, oh, I don't really know how to I that that'd be terrible. But I, I don't think that's because most people who fail have failed a couple of times, but then then you talk to them and they're like, Uber successful. It's like, okay, well, you failed. And then you just went and tried again, And then maybe a second or third time. And, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit that you had from a young age, it just doesn't, it doesn't go away. And that can still, you know, you can always get to the end goal. And, you know, Colonel Sanders was an example. He was in his sixties and then just slayed. Yeah. Maybe he had a good life before that. I would hope that he did, but that, you know, it's it's a, it's definitely a frightening prospect to think about if you're if you're starting anything
0: well, well people are looking at the outcome i think people are enamored by like the successful outcomes of entrepreneurs like look at elon musk right he's the wealthiest person in the world right now but i bet you he's more proud of his journey right and that's why he's quick to say things in terms of like my company's overvalued and the sec you know is awful right <laughs> which which will say often right but you know the guy sent a a ship to mars essentially right he's invented like probably one of the better cars on the planet right that's fast and safe and fuel efficient and and incredible but you got to think about what that journey was like to get there and that's what it's about right because like i was saying the thought for me is i've got one life to live right who do i want to be what do i want my impact to be and, you know, just being honest with myself that that's the path and failure or success is irrelevant because it's just the path I'm on. And all that matters is, am I helping people ach- achieve things that they couldn't do by themselves? And am I helping them, you know, grow, right? That's my job. And and then at the end, you know, I can look back and be like, I help these people do X, Y, Z. And, you know, that, that, that to me, that's success, right? Is, is... is like I, my my best memories, right? My my, I feel like the greatest moments of success is when I was younger, and I, I didn't get a chance to talk about this. But in college, I threw a big Halloween party, right? And I sold. 5,000 tickets to it at five bucks a pop, right? Yeah. Or a thousand tickets at five bucks. It it was a lot of money at the time for me, like thousands of dollars was not like a normal exchange for me at the time. And we bought 40 kegs of beer and a hundred bottles of vodka. And like, we had a pretty impressive operation, like getting it ready, but it was the experience of putting it together. It wasn't because like, I really loved the party and had a good time. It was like, and mind you, I'm not even 21 at the time, right? So how I pulled all this off is, <laughs> is, is more than incredible. But yeah. but but the, the 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 thing is, is like, it was the experience. And, and I always look back on it, it's treasured. And I look at how much I've grown as a person since I've started as an entrepreneur. Like I'm, I'm unquestionably more talented, smarter, more resilient, uh, more creative, more persistent, like less bashful about certain things. Like, and it's real. It's not like me going out and be like, oh, you know, bullshit, 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 like puffery, it's like, You know me four years ago versus me today there's no competition like it's just a better person
1: yeah it's it's that growth part that the growth and the service that is is worth it i mean if i don't know you know if you resonate with this i there's been a time where i'm like trying to latch a sense of happiness and fulfillment to something material and then you know maybe it was something that you were going after you know i've never owned a lamborghini Or Ferrari but something like where I'm like I wanted this object and I got it I'm happy I got it and then in times when I'm depressed I'm like just searching like what what can make me happy right now I'm like well I did I accomplished this and this and this and if there was nothing about growth or service to it it was it was empty and it was even worse because it took something I was once happy about and showed just how unhelpful it was to me when I needed happiness fulfillment and whatever and so you know it's I'd like having goals I like having financial goals because I know like I can take that and provide family give back to community and things like that but in the you know what I what I find to be what makes me happy when I'm not feeling so hot about myself but it's just maybe a day or a couple days I'm like I just feel like shit feel worthless a little depressed I'm like you know, I I had an impact on someone, you know, recently that I I did good for someone or for a cause of something. And, you know, it's, that's, that's the realness and that's the best thing, you know, to, to get to, I think.
0: Yeah. There's, you can't fake it and and there's no greater honor, right? Because most people don't want your help or, you know, (laughs) or they, they maybe don't appreciate it. Right. But, but you know, I, I think back to my time when I was running data at the, the last company I was at. I was very transparent about the challenges and the problems I had, and I worked with a lot of vendors. And there, I can name on you know one hand the amount of vendors who actually were invested in helping me solve those problems. The rest of them wanted to hear my problems and position their solutions to solve those problems. But I, I can tell you who they are, and, and and those people I still stay in touch with, right? And and they're the ones who. Uh, gave a shit about helping me solve the problem, even if their solution couldn't do it, sometimes they'd be like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And that's what it should be like, right? Or, or how you or how are you helping other people grow and impact their organization in a positive way? Because honestly, like companies that help me solve, you know, secondary and tertiary issues to their product, improve their product success because they helped me solve problems that created avenues for me to make their product successful. Like, You know, it. it, it, because rarely is it an issue with the product itself, you know, like, I don't give, you know, how do you load data? Okay, great. Uh, Well, I got two departments that are both telling me I'm an idiot, right? And, And that my solution, which is like a universally accepted methodology, is wrong because of, you know, no even counter argument, right? But how do I get through that? And the people who help me get through that are the ones who are invaluable to me. So you know, listen, listen to your prospects issues, listen to your customers problems. And, you know, I know, I know we're going on a little bit of a tangent, but I, 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 I you know, I, with data, it's it's not about data and technology, it's about people. And, you know, I think people who think that, hey, we got this data guy who can do it, or this data guy who nobly thinks that they can do it, or I, you know, naively thinks they can do it by themselves, go, go talk to some other people, like, Let's put data aside, guys. What do you want to solve? You know, going back to your your segmenting customers example, let's get 10 salespeople in a room and see if we can even segment our customers. And you probably leave the room and be like, I don't even know what our business strategy is. Hey, CEO, we thought about this. What do you want to do? Then they start thinking about it. And then before you even got to the data, the questions you're asking are have nothing to do with technology, have nothing to do with solutions, have everything to be with how you work together as a team.
1: Love that. I think that just summed up your everything you've, you've said and you'd love the conversation too. And like service and, and mindset stuff we, we touched on and, and founders, but I think a great place to wrap. I absolutely love chatting with you and hopefully didn't cut into too much of your afternoon. We went a little bit over, but you know, I'm sure you would have cut me off, which I should have. I'll give that disclaimer.
0: <laughs> no, it's fine. I, it's it, always a pleasure. You know, we kind of went all over the place and, you know, I, I hope others find it valuable and
1: yeah, Oh, dude, I'm sure like, and that's like my favorite, favorite kind of conversation is just, we'll talk business talk like stuff beyond that. And then it's all, cause to me, business is a vehicle to getting, to becoming a better person and to serving others. And so that's, it's like, it's like half about business, but also like not it's just about general, general life stuff. So. Yeah, you know, I'm really uh, super grateful to have you on. Really appreciative of your time. And yeah, man, dude, we'll, we'll connect again, you know, hopefully sooner than later. You look out within a few weeks. I'm still working on my process of taking the content, but you know, I'll, I'll send you some stuff here, let you know when the, the episode is gonna go live and we'll, we'll be rocking. So again, thank you.
0: Perfect, Paul, my pleasure. Thank you so much.